So in 2018, right about this time of year, Jalen and I went on a vacation and we decided we were going to go to Cancun. Now, this is the first time in my life that I had ever been out of the country for, for vacation. I, and I, I was pretty excited about it. I had been out of the country um, uh, for, for mission trips, but never had been out of the country for vacation. So we hit the airport, we landed, we took the shuttle to our hotel. And by the time we got checked in and settled in our hotel, it was time to figure out dinner. And, and we'd made one deal about this trip. The trip was going to be an adventure and things that we would do on the trip would be adventure. Food was not going to be an, an adventure. For my comfort level out of the country, we were going to stick to more familiar food when we were eating out. So we get settled in the hotel, we connect to the hotel Wi-Fi, and we search for restaurants that are open and sound somewhat familiar, and I found an Outback Steakhouse that was only three-tenths of a mile away. That was a big deal because we didn't have a car of our own, and Jalen didn't particularly want to take a bus because if you've ever been to Cancun, buses fly. Buses fly through Cancun. We thought, perfect, three-tenths of a mile, that's nothing. We can easily walk that. So we leave and we head out in the direction of Outback Steakhouse, and we walk for like a half an hour, and we find nothing. We found nothing. Now, I don't mean to brag here, but you put me on a treadmill. I can walk three-tenths of a mile in about five minutes. So I knew we have walked long enough, we have walked far enough, that if we were walking in the right direction to get to Outback Steakhouse, we would have found Outback Steakhouse by now. We figured out, okay, you know what? We must have turned out of the hotel and gone the wrong direction. It's time for us to turn back the other way, walk back to the hotel, and then go the other direction, three-tenths of a mile. That must be the direction of Outback Steakhouse. Somehow our our directions must have gotten crossed. We must have headed in the wrong direction to get to Outback. So we walk a half hour back to the hotel, and then we walk another half hour. By this point, we have now walked an hour and a half total, half hour the wrong way, half hour back, half hour back the now the other direction, and we still have not found Outback Steakhouse. And by this point, we've now walked for an hour and a half total. I am starting to get frustrated, but I've also become really attached to the idea of a blooming onion and a ribeye, right? Like, like, I, like I'm, I'm all in on, on Outback Steakhouse. So we're gonna find Outback Steakhouse. We've walked for another 45 minutes now, over two, over two hours at this point. It's getting pretty dark by this point. And as someone who has never been in Mexico in the dark, in like a nice area, I'm like, I'm starting to get freaked out because I've never seen Cancun before. I only know what other parts of Mexico look like in the dark. I'm thinking, we're, we're going to get jumped out here. So, like, it's not good to be out in Mexico in the dark. That's what I'm figuring out. And I finally decide, and I find like, we ask someone like, do you know where Outback Steakhouse is? And they have no idea. And so a bus comes by and I say, Jim, I think, like, I know you don't want to ride the bus, but I think we should get on a bus and at least like try to figure out, like not in, not walking in the dark in Cancun, we should at least get on a bus and try to like head where a bus is going. And so we ride the bus for about seven minutes. We asked the driver, like, are we going in the direction of Outback Steakhouse? And they said, oh yeah, we get, we'll get there eventually. We ride the bus for about seven minutes and we're there because again, buses fly in Cancun. So while we're at Outback, I try to figure out, well, what went wrong? How, like, how did I get this so wrong? It said it was three tenths of a mile away. How did, like, how do we get this so wrong? Why did it say, why did it say it was so close when it was not close at all? It turns out that there was, that, that where Outback Steakhouse was, was kind of on the, one of the coves around Cancun. And when I asked for directions, Apple Maps told me how far Outback was by boat how far it was from the hotel to Outback by boat, which was three-tenths of a mile by boat. Now, going across the water, it was only three-tenths of a mile. Going by land, it was seven and a half miles. 
So here's the thing, the reason I tell you this story, the best information I had with my understanding would have had us walk seven and a half miles, five of it in the dark. The bus, knowing where it was going, got us where we were going in a fraction of the time. Now here's the thing, we're in this series, Paths, and we're exploring the principle of the path, that your path will determine your place, that your path will determine your place always. Your path, more than your plans, more than will determine the places that you arrive in life. Your path, more than your plans, more than your hopes, more than your dreams, more than your prayers, will determine the places that you arrive in life. That if you plan on ending up somewhere in life, if you hope to end up somewhere in life, if you pray to end up somewhere in life, but you do not choose a path that leads you there, you will not end up in the places that you hope and pray that you will end up up. So you need to choose our paths well. We need to choose our paths with wisdom. Last week, we looked at a powerful verse from the book of Proverbs that told us the prudent sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. That when we accidentally or maybe even intentionally choose a path that leads somewhere we do not want to go, leads us to danger we do not want to experience, and we realize that there is danger ahead, the wise person changes direction. They change their path. They go back on the path to find a new path. They change their path. They stop and they make a change so that they don't experience the danger that lies ahead on their current path because they realize that life is connected, that life is connected. And if you keep walking in the direction of danger, you will eventually experience danger. So the wise or the prudent person understands that life is connected and the prudent person sees danger and they do something about it. They're wise enough to do something about it. So as we move into the new content today, content today here's the rub that we might feel so far. Your path will determine your place. And if you don't choose the right path from the start, you are going to inevitably find yourself walking a path that has some potential danger, has some real danger, has some serious danger ahead, whether it's relationally, financially, career-wise, parenting-wise, or health-wise. And none of us really want that for our lives, right? Like none of us really want to end up on the wrong path and be facing danger that lies ahead. None of us want to end up on the path that leads to financial ruin or career dead ends or bitter adult relationships with your kids as they grow or marital unfaithfulness. None of us want to find ourselves at those places for sure, but let's be honest, none of us really want to even find ourselves on those paths, on the paths that take us to those places. You don't want to spend two years of life on a path that leads you to financial ruin. You don't want to spend four years of marriage headed in a dangerous direction, dangerous or unhealthy direction. You don't want to spend eight years of your life on a path that ignores or impairs your physical health. If you're a college student, you don't really want to spend two and a half years pursuing a major that you're not going to end up actually finishing and then have to switch and start over as a parent I mean, we parent for 18 years before our children are adults. You don't have three years to waste on a path that doesn't build a healthy relationship with your kids. See, the ultimate thing is simply this, that there's no guilt in getting on the wrong path, but none of us really want to get on the wrong path. Like there's no guilt, there's no shame. It's like this happens to everyone at some point along the way of life. But at the same time, we'd say like, I don't really want that for myself. I don't know you don't want that for yourself. You could say it this way, that so much of life depends on making the right decision as early as possible. 
So much of life depends on making the right decision as early as possible. So much of life depends on getting the right, the, making the right decision the first time. So much of life depends on getting it right, right away, right from the jump, as early as you possibly can. The earlier you make the right decisions in regard to your dating, your marriage, your schooling, your career, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the more time you get to walk on the right path and the longer you get to spend enjoying the fruit of the right path. And so the question becomes, and I introduced this question, I told you last week that we we're gonna come back to it this week. How do you choose the right path when you've never chosen that path before? How do you choose that path, when, the right path, when you've never chosen this type of path before? And some of you hearing this, you might think, well, I mean, yeah, that matters when you're real young and you're just starting out in college or in your career or in family life or in parenting or in your career. Like, like it, it matters then, but like, come on, let's be honest. Like, I am old and I am set in my ways. I have chosen all of my paths. I'm not starting anything new anytime soon. And let me tell you, this matters all along the way of life because we are constantly starting new paths and new seasons and new stretches of life. This matters when you're a college freshman choosing your major or whether and whether or not to pledge a sorority. And it matters all the way till you spend your to how you spend your time and resources and energy as a retired person. This never stops. We want to choose the best path, best path as quickly as we possibly can. So the question is, how do we do that? And how can we be confident that we are doing that? The answer to this comes shockingly, I mean, shockingly, from the life and the example of Solomon. Solomon, as we've read the last two weeks, we've talked about the last two weeks, he has the reputation of being the wisest man who ever lived. And we've already talked about that a little bit. But Solomon, along with his father, David, also would go down as the two greatest kings in the history of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. He wrote portions of the Bible that hold incredible value and wisdom still 3,000 years later. He was the king who oversaw the building of the temple where the presence of God would reside in the nation of Israel. I mean, Solomon did some legendary things and he's a legendary person in history and in biblical history for sure. But before Solomon was known for all of that, Solomon actually became the king at a very young age. His father David was a legend as a military leader and as a king. David had established Israel on the regional and the world stage. And on top of all this, the fact that like he's following in some incredible footsteps and footsteps and he's now stepping into becoming the king at an incredibly young age. Solomon was not the natural or logical choice as successor for David. He wasn't the firstborn son. That guy died while trying to take the kingdom from David while he was still alive. And he wasn't the oldest living son by a stretch. Like he wasn't the firstborn among the sons that remained alive to this day. Solomon started his reign as the illogical, unnatural, easy, easily questioned, probably too young king following in the footsteps of a legend, trying to build on what his father had done, or at the very least, trying not to screw up what his father had done. This was no easy task for a young man like Solomon. The nation's future hinge, would hinge on what this young man would do 
as king. And we're told of this phenomenal event or maybe a dream that Solomon had where he believed he encountered God in a supernatural way that would define his life and his reign. In this interaction, shortly after he is crowned as king, God tells Solomon to ask him for whatever his heart desires and whatever he asks, God will grant it and God will give it. Here's what we're told Solomon asked for and then we're told God's response. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 8, we're told this. Solomon said, your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So please give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? In other words, Solomon says, like, I know my limitations. I know the limitations of my understanding and my discernment. I know I'm not smart enough. I know I'm not old enough. I know I'm not wise enough. I know I haven't experienced enough to do this king thing right. I know I'm not going to choose right on my own. I'm not going to understand everything on my own. I'm not going to be able to discern between right and wrong on my own. So God, would you give me a understanding, a discerning heart to distinguish between right and wrong and to govern your people well? I know the limitations of my own ability otherwise. I know the limitations of my own ability to figure out right and wrong. So God, I need something that can only come from you. I need something that can only come from you whose wisdom and discernment has no limitations. I need your perspective. I need your wisdom. I need discernment that comes from you. Otherwise, I'm toast and so is Israel. So God, if you want to know what one thing I want from you, if you'll guarantee that you'll give me any, any one thing, I need wisdom that comes from you. I need discernment that comes from you. And in verse 10, we're told this. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. And that's exactly what would go down, right? I mean, to this day, 3,000 years later, Solomon is still known as the wisest man who ever lived. To this day, 3,000 years later, his writing is still viewed as wise and practical today. He is viewed as the wisest person who ever lived, as one of the two greatest kings of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people who ever lived. No one would ever be like Solomon. No one would ever accomplish the things as Solomon. No one would ever build the wealth that Solomon would build. And here's the lesson. The wisest person who ever lived was only wise because he sought wisdom from God. The wisest person who ever lived was only wise because he sought wisdom from God. He was not wise because of his own wisdom. He knew that's lim that limitation. He was not wise because of his family line. He knew the problems that his, family, his own family had gotten in. He was not wise because he had political power. Let's be honest. We all know people who have political power and political influence who obviously lack wisdom. He was wise because he was willing to admit the limitation of his own wisdom and seek wisdom from the one who is truly wise and whose wisdom and perspective has no limits and no end. Now, what's amazing about that, if you think about that, 
If Solomon was wise only because he knew the limits of his own wisdom and knew he needed to seek and submit to God's wisdom for him to have a shot of leading the nation well, what do you think that says about you and me today? How much do we need to seek wisdom and to submit ourselves to the one who is truly wise and has all wisdom to say, I need wisdom from God? Later, Solomon would go on to write the book of Proverbs, which is a lot of him writing to his sons that, so that they would know how to live lives as wise people. And here's the way he put what he had been wise enough to do. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, he wrote this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Now, let's unpack that just a little bit, starting verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is a subtle but strong reminder that we will all lean our life on something. You maybe try to lean it on your life, on, on, on wealth, on understanding, on smarts, on maturity, on experience, on your family history, on your own pride, sometimes even on our own arrogance. We all lean our life onto something. Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding or your own wealth or your own maturity or your own understanding or your own experiences or your own family history or your own arrogance. Don't lean your life there because those things cannot handle the weight of your life. They are not wise enough. They are not strong enough. They are not secure enough to handle the weight of your life. Only the Lord is strong enough and secure enough and wise enough to handle the weight of your life. So Solomon says, lean your life on the Lord. Lean your life on God. He is the only one worthy of the weight of your life. You can lean on him every area of your life, in your marriage, in your finances, in your career, in your parenting, in your friendships, in your education, in, in your relationships with your, with your parents, in everything that you do, you can lean your life on the Lord and he is strong enough and secure enough and wise enough to support the weight of your life. You can lean on him and know that you are secure. Then he goes on in verse six to say this, in all your ways, submit that's a word we don't like very much. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. He will make your path straight. Now, this is such a fascinating verse. The best translation of this verse would actually be to say, and he will make it obvious which path to take. I mean, isn't that the answer to the question that we have been asking? How do you make sure, like, how can you get it right the first time when so much rides on getting it right the first time, but you don't know you're getting it right the first time? How can you make sure you get it right the first time? You submit to the Lord in all of your ways, and he will make it obvious which path to take. He will make your paths straight. That, I mean, like, isn't that the answer to the question? He'll make it obvious which path to take. That's what we all want. See, here's the thing though. The problem is that, that that only comes one way. We all want direction. God requires our submission before he gives us his direction. God requires our submission before he gives us his direction. It's explained in the first half of this, this verse. In all of your ways, submit to him and then 
he will make it obvious which, to path, which path to take. And here's the principle, here's the bottom line here today. Here's, here's the thing that we, we've got to make sure we get settled and squared away if we want to make sure we get it right the first time, that we get it right as quickly as possible, that we get it right as soon as possible before we get on the wrong path, that we get it right the first time. Here's the thing that we've got to get squared away if we're going to do that. Submission precedes direction. Submission precedes direction. Submission comes before direction always. See, we want direction. We want to do what we want to do in life and then go, hey, God, uh, I, I can't figure this thing out. Can you point the way? And God goes, this isn't how that works. When your life is submitted to me, when all of your ways are submitted to me, I will point the direction. I will make the path obvious. I will highlight and light up and illuminate the path that you're supposed to be on. But when you're off doing your own thing, like, I mean, I'm just telling you, like, so like submission precedes direction. Unless we take our everyday moments, our everyday decisions, and our huge, I know it's life-defined decisions, and submit them to our Heavenly Father, knowing that He has wisdom and perspective beyond our wisdom and perspective, and knowing He is good and loves us more than we possibly have. Unless we do that, when we ask for and seek direction, we may come finding come to find ourselves knocking at a door that will not open because God has already declared in his word, submission precedes direction. It means I take my parenting, my, I take my everyday, my, all my ways. In all my ways, I submit to God. In all my ways, I submit to God. In everything about my life, I submit myself to my heavenly Father. And I say, I want, I want your will. I want your way. I want your plans. I want your purposes. And everything about me is submitted to you so that I can experience all of that. And so God, while I'm pursuing your plans and your purposes and your will and your ways, and I've submitted myself to you, would you point the direction so that I don't mess it all up? That's when God gives us the direction that we all want. Submission precedes direction. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. It means I take my parenting and I say, God, how would you desire for me to parent. I've read a bunch of books from a bunch of people, but God, how do you want me to parent? It means I take my finances and I say, God, point the way with my money. God, again, I, I see a lot of people with a lot of opinions on, on social media. I see a lot of people with opinions on news articles. And I, and I know the Wall Street Journal has a lot of opinions. I know Dave Ramsey has a lot of opinions. But God, at the end of the day, how do you want me to approach my money. It means you take your school next steps and you say, God, show me the path with picking a major or choosing my inter internship or choosing the school st to student teach or choosing what I'm going to do after school. God, I submit it to you. So would you show me the way? I submit my next steps to you in school. Show me the way. It means I take my cues for marriage from God and not from the world around me. You know, like there's, there's a million marriage books out there, Christian books, non-Christian books, secular books, not spiritual books that all have opinions about how you should be married. But at the end of the day, are we going to take our cues for on, on our marriage and how we treat each other within marriage from the God who loves us and created marriage in the first place or from anything less? 
I submit, I mean, I, I take my marriage, I say, God, how do you want me to be? Who do you want me to be in my marriage? It means I take my thought life and my mental health and I seek God's will and word for his desires for my internal world. Again, there's a million opinions about what your internal world should look like. You know whose matters most? God's that God actually has something to say about your inner world, about your mental health, about your thought life, that God has things to say about those. And why would we not submit ourselves to God? Because when we submit ourselves to God, he shows us the paths to take. Submission precedes direction. If we want direction, we have to choose submission. Submission, here's the other, another way of saying this, is that submission is an ongoing, everyday decision. Submission is an ongoing everyday decision. This isn't something that you can just do one time at the beginning. Like you can't sit like in your marriage. If you submit on your wedding day, but you don't submit to God any other day, the I would ask you this question. Are you really submitted to God? And say, well, like, well, I submitted once. No, no. Submission is an ongoing everyday decision. God, today, am I the husband that you want me to be to my wife? God, today, Three years down the road, am I the wife that you want me to be to my husband? As a parent, every single day waking up, God, I know today is a brand new day with my kid. And so God, who do you want me to be? And how do you want me to respond with my child today? How do you want me to lead and disciple and shape my child today? God, today I'm walking into the workplace and I'm going to experience some things that I have never experienced before. I mean, it may seem like just an average every, or ordinary day, but today is a new day in my workplace. And so I submit my workplace and my career to you today, that if this is where you want me to be, I know there's something that you want me to accomplish today. So I submit myself to you today. Would you highlight the steps that you want me to take today? Submission precedes direction and submission is an ongoing everyday decision that never stops. And so when you're 20, you submit your ways to the Lord and he will make your path straight. And when you're 30, you want to know what you do when you're 30? You submit yourself to the Lord because submission precedes direction and he will make your path straight. You want to guess what you should do when you're 40? You should submit yourself to the Lord for direction. Submission precedes direction when you're 40. And so you submit yourself to the Lord and he will make it obvious which path to take in your 40s every single day. You submit yourself to the Lord. You want to guess what you do when you're 50? Any, any, any guesses here? In your 50s. You submit yourself to the Lord because submission precedes direction and God will make it obvious which path to take in your 50s. You want to guess which path you take in your 60s and your 70s and your 80s and your 90s? And if you make it to your 100s, you want to guess what path you take then? You take the path of submission. You submit yourself to the Lord because submission precedes direction. And as you submit yourself to the Lord, he will make it obvious which path to take every day that you walk through the rest of your life. And here's the thing, that's a beautiful picture. This is the positive potential that we've been talking about from the very beginning. That if you get this right, if you get submission right, God will make every path straight and every path obvious. It won't be that there won't be difficult decisions in life, but in the most difficult decisions of life, you will know which path to take. It won't be that there won't be difficult moments of life and suffering that comes in life, but in the most difficult moments and even in the suffering of life, you will have absolute clarity of which path to take as you follow your Savior who is walking with you and ahead of you. That's the positive potential of this. But here's the thing. If you don't, 
if you don't do this, if you don't choose submission, you'll eventually arrive at surrender. You'll eventually arrive at a place where you're so desperately in need of God, crying out to God because you have chosen your own understanding and chosen to build your life on wealth and chosen to build your life on your own maturity and your own experience and your family history and whatever else you decided to build your life on. You will you can choose submission, but if you don't choose submission, you'll still end up eventually at a place of surrender because that's where your life will go, where you will be in such desperate need of God, where you're crying out to God, wishing you had submitted, but finding yourself now surrendered, going, God, whatever it takes, I need you to bail me out. I need you to help me figure this out. I have made such a mess of my life. I surrender because I've got nothing. I can do nothing. Without you, I'm nothing. I surrender to you. And here's what I would tell you to do. Choose submission because submission equals surrender. But if you don't choose submission, you will mess up your life and still find you in yourself in a place crying out to the God that you could have chosen now. Choose him today. Submit to him today. He is good. He can be trusted with your life because he is wise. He can be trusted with your life because he is loving. He can be trusted with your life because he has blessings more than you could possibly begin to understand. He can be trusted with your life because he knows where you are right now. He has his eyes on you. He cares for you. He can be trusted with your life more than you can because he's wiser than you are, because he's more gracious than you are, because he's stronger than you are, and because he loves you more than you love yourself. He can be trusted with your life. He is worth submitting to. But again, if you don't, you end up in a place where you end up having to surrender because pride eventually overrides wisdom. It just always does. Eventually, you will think that you know better than wisdom, that you know better because you've, you've succeeded enough. Pride overrides wisdom. If you don't, arrogance eventually overrides common sense. Like I, you know, I, I know this is what everybody else says is a good idea, but I, I mean, I, 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 have, I have perspective no one else does. If you don't choose submission, self-importance always overrides discernment. What's best for me right now takes the place of what's, what's, what's ultimately best for me. And I'm just telling you, this is what leads us to a place where we screw up our lives and end up crying out to God, wishing we had chosen submission in the first place. This is also why, why Solomon wrote one more thing. We wrote one more thing at the beginning of the book of Proverbs. Actually, before he wrote much, much of the rest of the book of Proverbs, he wrote this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Solomon uses knowledge and wisdom interchangeably. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, he says, the fear of the Lord, to submit to God, to have an awe and reverence of God that says, God, you know what's best when I don't know what's best. You see it with a perspective that I can't possibly begin to see with. So God, I have a fear and an awe and a reverence and a submission to you. Solomon says, that's the starting point of wisdom. That's the starting point of knowledge. That is the only place you will truly find it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Solomon says, if you fear the Lord, if you submit to the Lord, that's the beginning point of wisdom. But people who refuse the Lord are ultimately people who choose away from wisdom and away from instruction. So my friends, 
What if we decided today that from this moment forward, we will submit ourselves to the Lord, that we will do what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter three, verse six. We'll submit ourselves to the Lord. In, in all of our ways, we'll submit to him. We'll submit our marriage. We'll submit our parenting. We'll submit our finances. We'll submit our education. We'll submit our career. We'll submit our friendships and our relationships outside of work. We'll submit our, our, our retirement. We'll submit our our everything that we have, every resource, every, or we'll submit our housing. We'll submit everything that we have to God, everything that we think matters and everything that we think doesn't matter. We'll submit it all to our heavenly father. And then watch as he makes our paths as straight, as he makes it obvious which path for us to take. In answer to the question, how do we make sure that we get it right right away? How do we make sure we get it right the first time? How do we make sure in all of these areas where we have no experience and we lack wisdom and so many people get it so wrong, how can we get it right the first time? We follow God. We submit to God because submission precedes direction. But when we submit to our heavenly father, he always points the way and he highlights which path to take. He wants to do that for you. He wants to do that for me. And he will do that for us as we submit our lives to him. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, today I simply pray and ask, thank you, thank you first of all, for the wisdom of Solomon, God, that, that in his wisdom, he knew he wasn't wise enough to walk without you. God, I pray that we would have the same realization that no matter how smart or educated or how, how much our family has succeeded in the past, God, I pray that we would know that without you, we are not wise enough to walk in this world. God, I pray that every one of us right now, we would have the wisdom to follow Solomon's wisdom to know we're not wise enough to walk without you. So God, help us to know we need to submit to you. Some of us, we are walking on dangerous paths because we have failed to submit an area of our lives to you. And God, for those of us who are walking those paths, help us to be the prudent who see danger and turn around and head in your direction. But God, for those of us who are starting in some area of our lives, before we take another step, would you give us the wisdom to submit to you? And God, as we submit to you, would you follow through on what Solomon promised to us in your word? that as we submit our lives and all of our ways to you, you will make it obvious which path to take. We want to follow you. We want to honor you. We want to live lives that point others to you. And so God, in all of our ways, we submit to you. And in all of our ways, would you make our paths straight? Would you make it obvious which paths we are to take? We love you, God. We trust you, God. We want to live for you and follow you in the path that you send us on. So help us to do that, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen.